Hey, everybody, it's John. And thanks to everybody who helps us out every week by going to patreon.com slash steal this beer and throwing a couple of bucks away so that we can mail beers to our guests and have some fun conversations resulting from that. So uh, if you're not already, go check it out. It's patreon.com slash steal this beer. Uh, as Cass says, a little bit goes a long way and we appreciate the support. Now, here come the sirens. Steal This Beer, a candid weekly discussion about beer, over beer, by a couple of guys that think about beer way too much. All right, hey y'all, it's five o'clock on Monday and we are stealing beer. I am an Augie Carton with a Brian Cass. How you doing, Yo, Cass? I'm doing What's fantastic. Up, fantastic. Lovely day. <laughs> Ham's in the oven, or should say just pulled out of the oven. Got a smoked beer in hand, and, Ooh. you know, we're recording with our new friend Scott here as well. Yeah, let me introduce Scott. So we have Scott Frank of Double Clutch in in proper Chicago, Scott, or in Chicago land at some point? Chicago land. We're actually Evanston. So that's the first suburb north of Chicago. Understood. Got it. So this has come up on the show before, but my very best friend in the world from growing up now lives in Chicago. So I go out there quite a bit, but have never had to learn a single thing about it because I'm going to visit him and he's in control of everything I do. So I know... I know kind of what you're talking about, but I can't even be sure that's not where he lives now. Um, anyway, thanks for joining us, buddy. How you doing? So Thieves at Home Hall is in a either son-in-law or son plumbing emergency nightmare. So he kind of bagged off last minute. Mother-in-law. Ken- so wrong. Mother-in-law. And Kennedy is dadding it up. So you got me, Cass, and Scott catching up about the German lager scene in Chicago. Funny enough, with a without a Hall who just got home from uh, Munich. So I will do my best to be the guy who's never been over there and learn about Double Clutch. But let's start with – so Kennedy gave me a rough description, but your this all begins like a dual-purpose space, like a car-collecting spot slash brewing beer. Tell me about how that came together. Right. So... And if I've got that right. <laughs> I th- it sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've got 13,000 square feet. So the concept uh, was created by my good friend, Mike Chikazian, and his father bought this building for the sole purpose of storing cars in it. It was a building that was constructed back in the 1940s or 50s as a glass manufacturing facility. And so we still have like the wrought iron crane in the ceiling, although the crane's been removed, but all the iron work is there. Uh, and he was just going to store cars in it. He has a collection of over a hundred cars. Oh, wow. And, yeah. So he's one so of those guys. He is one of those guys, <laughs> which, which of, of every brewery needs one of those guys because <laughs> it's an expensive hobby. And so uh, Mike and I met because our oldest kids are now juniors in college. And we met, our wives met actually, when they were uh, in nursery school. We went to the same nursery school. And uh, I was a home brewer. 
and into cars and he was into cars. And so we would sit in my garage, which I have a, have a two car garage, which we couldn't park cars in. My brewery was, was because that, <laughs> that consuming. And so we would sit there and fantasize about doing this and, uh, you know, having a brew pub. And we almost pulled the trigger about uh, seven or eight years before this opened up. We're not even two years old. Uh, Halloween will be our second anniversary. Um, Congratulations. Well, thank you. And uh, we, we probably would have failed miserably. He's into real estate and um, he ended up owning a building that had a, a restaurant that was failing and the owner was way behind on his rent and he evicted him and his attorney partners uh, wanted to do a, a Neapolitan style pizza, Napoli's pizza. And so they did, it's called uh, <laughs> Napolita and it's a brick oven, authentic Italian pizza place. And it was outrageously successful. And long story short, they now own 12 restaurants in Chicago. So wow. once they had that infrastructure in place, Mike and my dream of a brew pub became a reality. And his dad had this building and long story short, we, we were going to do just a, I had a, a 20 gallon system in my garage. We were just going to upgrade that to maybe a three barrel system. Uh, but as we started interviewing people, we uh, realized we should probably build for success. And so we took on a lot of investors and a $1 million project turned into a $4 million project. And, uh, but we got the system we wanted. I wanted a, a brew house that could specifically do step mashes, um, and, and some decoction. And so, because I'm, I'm obsessed with German lagers and ales, but, um, continental beers and, uh, we got it. And so, Year one, we entered GABF and won silver medals for our Hellas Lager and our Hellas Rauch beer, which is a smoked light German beer from the town of Bomberg in northern Bavaria. And um, because of that and our small quantity, we I was named Brewer of the Year and, and we were Brewery of the Year. And wow. Second GABF, we won silver again for the Hellas Rauch beer. So I'm I'm quite proud of that. It, it is when I, when people ask me, so you're going to, you're going to have your own brewery. What, what's your favorite beer? What's the, the beer you want to have? And it was the Hellas Rauch beer. So to get recognized for that uh, is, is pretty nice. Well, that, that's, that's all cool. And especially a Hell's Rauch. So when you say small, how small is small? Like what's, what's your barrelage per year and what's the size of your mash ton? Well, it's a 15 barrel brew house. It's, okay. So, so that's not that small. That's pretty big these days, right? No, you're exactly right. And, and it, we're, we were small as a technicality. So the way GABF again, so we're, we're going to be celebrating our uh, second anniversary on Halloween. So yep. the first year we were open, we were technically only open for two months. Uh, and so GABF determines what category of brewery size you're in based on the previous year's production. Got well, it. We only produced in two months, 70 barrels of beer that, that put us in a very small category. And we, we have had people visit after they saw that we won that award and they're like looking at all of our tanks and going, mm -hmm. oh, you're, this is not what I expected. So they're like, do you do one brew a year? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, 
So obviously we didn't fall into that category year two and we never will again, but, right. uh, but uh, that's, that's how we got that. But the, you know, when you, for the, for the metals on the beer, uh, you're going up against everybody. So, oh yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, the, the, the brewery of the year is sort of ancillary. It's, it's, not nearly as important because there are these sort of glitches that can get you the award, which we, we didn't plan it that way, but that's the way it worked out for us. Yeah. It's funny. I'm glad you qualified that. Cause I knew you'd won like s small brewer of the year or whatever the actual name is, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have a number of what that meant when you were like a, a, you know, million dollar project goes to four slash step mashing and decocting. I was like, how, how many vessels can a two-barrel system be? So, so right. I was much happier when you clarified that. That that's super interesting, though. It's funny that I mean, obviously, I can't imagine it doesn't even seem like that anomaly is unfair because had you never made beer again, that would have been the capacity at the time of that judging. So it makes sense to me, but I see what you mean as you know, it reads as a different situation. Let's talk, let's get back to so there's a side project of my 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 cohort in all this john hall that is this week in rauk beer so we talk about rauks on this show way more than i think we're we're the number one real smoke beer podcast in the world but the number two behind this week in rauk beer which is the number one smoked beer podcast in the world hosted by john hall once a year um so let let's talk about one you doing that so We've talked about this on the show, too, so I don't want to bore the people at home by reiterating it, but just a point for you. So when I use smoke in recipes, I'm always kind of adding it as a seasoning or a spice, and I'm thinking in terms of bags. But at some point, I was out at Beerstadt in Denver, and they had just done a beautiful Rauch beer, really knocked my socks off. And in discussing it with Ashley, she told me that it was 100% smoked malt. And to me, that seemed insane because in my head, that just equals, you know, smoky ham water. But this was just pretty and gorgeous. So talk about your hells, your smoked hells. You know what I mean? How, how's your approach to that? How much smoke do you tolerate? Do you understand, as I do, that some people are just never going to like smoke because of the phenolics and all that? And like, how smoky do you want your smoke to be on a scale of, you know, Marlboros to Cohibas? <laughs> right. So, so a little backstory um, for my 50th birthday. I'm now 58, unfortunately. Um, I went to Oktoberfest. My, my birthday is October 2nd. But the real purpose of the journey was, and there were, there were 10 of us. There were five couples that went. And, um, but the real purpose of the journey for me was to then take a train up to Bomberg, which is about two and a half hours north of Munich. And um, I had a list now in Bomberg, Germany, all of the brewers make smoked beers. Yep. And uh, I had a list of breweries. Obviously, everyone knows Engschlägerle, but Echt, I'm sorry, Echt Schlägerle. And uh, but what I really wanted to see were Faisla, Merz, uh, Mars, I'm sorry. And um, I'm trying to read and talk. I shouldn't do that. That's right. It's, and, it's and a conversation. <laughs> uh, so 
unfortunately, Saturday night was our last night. We had to catch a train at uh, noon the next day, Sunday morning. When we went to Faisla and Speciala across the street from each other, so we, we enjoyed Speci uh, Faisla. I, all of the beers were delicious that I had, but none of them really blew my mind. I, I, they were what I expected them to be. We crossed the street to Speciala on Saturday night, and they were closed for a private wedding. So we all went to other pubs and everything and retired and woke up the next morning. And I got packed and showered and ready to go before my wife did. So it's about 10 a.m. My wife said, I said, you know, it's really killing me that I didn't get to see Special. I'm going to go over and just see if I can take a picture through the window, maybe grab a flyer. I didn't expect them to be open. She said, I'll meet you at the train station. So I went over there 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Not only were they open, they were packed. And so it's just a small pub space with maybe, as I recall, three long picnic tables. And I had my suitcase and I sat at the end of one and the server came over and I said, just give me your your best lager or your your house beer and she brought me the hellas rauk beer now in my mind eight years ago i associated smokiness with darkness so smoked porters or the smoked merzen from uh ex schlenker that was about the only exposure to bomberg beer i had in the states this was as light in color as a hellas or a pills but it had all of the smokiness that I had ever gotten from any beer and it really blew my mind. So as soon as I got home, I worked as a home brewer on that recipe. It took about, it took about a year because it can be like putting a cigarette butt in your mouth. If you put too much smoke malt into the beer, I actually won a gold for a hundred percent smoked base malt as a home brewer. I won a gold medal with that beer. Now it did have Munich malt in it. It did have some dextrin malt. So technically wasn't a hundred percent smoke, but it was a hundred percent smoked base malt. Um, and and, I, and I, just, just to be just quick, cause you know, there are some malt geeks out there in the world. Are we talking like the wireman Beechwood smoke standard? Exactly. Okay. I Go have on. tried, I have tried Oak cherry. I've tried other, you basically, you could, you could find malts that have been smoked by any wood you can imagine. Uh, but I found that because I was looking for that Bomberg experience again, I found Beechwood was the one that captured it. And Wireman just knocked it out of the park for me personally. So when I came back to the brewery on a professional level, obviously I had to scale all my recipes up. Um, and I was talking to a lot of different people who had more experience on the professional side than I did. And they were all trying to talk me out of a hundred percent smoke malt. Right. And most that I really ad admire and respect were saying go 30% because it'll offer the, the customer a hint of something that they can't quite put their finger on. But I, I just couldn't do that. So, um, I, I, mine ends up being about 73% smoke malt. Um, I do put uh, about 20% of this delicious Erex pills, which has a really sweet character to it. It's, it's one of mm. the sweetest pills malts from Germany that I've, I have experienced. And that sweetness in my mind balances off that astringent character that can come from that smoked malt. And 
you still get that phenolic character, which I, I agree with you entirely. Not everyone has a palate for this. Right. I find that my customers either love it or they hate it. There's really no in between. So let me ask and, a question. Something you said, something you just said caught my attention because, and I think we end up agreeing on this, but I want to flesh out my thinking on it and see where you fall on it. But sure. that advice, that kind of, and again, remember, I started from that sprinkle some smoke in approach, but that advice of keep it to less than 30%, so it's just a touch of smoke. I feel like in reality, in the palettes, as I've been experiencing them for the last 12 years, is it's kind of a binary thing. It's either you like smoke and there's smoke there, or you don't like smoke and there's smoke there. And if you don't like it, 1% is enough. And if you love it, 30 percent you know what i mean like it's you know do you understand what I'm saying? like yes i agree 100 percent because um we did do a pivo gorzyskie which is a smoked wheat beer polish wheat one of the owners is polish and in that case i only used and i don't have the numbers in front of me because we brewed it two years ago but uh it, it was closer to that 25 percent maybe even 20 percent in that case to me, it, I didn't really taste the smoke. It wasn't enough for me. But to a lot of people that I talked to, they said it was too smoky for them. So, so I, I agree 100% with, with your theory that an ounce of smoke to someone who doesn't like it is as much as 200 pounds. Right. It's funny though. So for, in my opinion of those two products, I find... So when we talk about, we love to make the joke about, you know, smoky ham water or whatever. For me, those, those like smoked meats flavors come from Beechwood aged uh, Pilsner malt. But oak smoked wheat for me always smells more like smoke, like burning. You know what I mean? Like I know I I'm saying similar things, but so... I don't. I feel like even in this discussion where I've just established that I think you might as well go 100% smoked Pilsner malt. I still think you got to be careful with oak smoked wheat. So I think it's funny that that you didn't get it, but your customers that you know what I mean. Like, totally. I think it's a different thing, but I get that ultimately it's all that smoke thing. So there's going to be people that are just like, nope, still smoked. <laughs> yes, I completely agree. <laughs> Uh, but it's fun. And I love, I love when we connect with the people who actually love it. So, um, actually, so I'm going to digress real quickly because there is no sure. real black glass to do because, oh, I wanted to ask you these questions, but hold on, let me just do the speech and I'll talk about this beer. Cause I'm the only one with it. Right. Like Cass, you don't have it. And that, our that is correct. <laughs> and sadly, 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 our package didn't make it to scott which i'll approach next but what brings us together on seal of spear is a candid conversation a beer what it is not what we thought it'd be what it's doing not what we were told it would do and how it tastes not the tale of how hard it was to get to facilitate that typically some of us more than me would be drinking blind out of black glasses but that's not how it's going today so i have my black glass full of a can kennedy shipped me i poured it tasted it and what's funny is, and this will be, I, I don't know how our, 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 you know, our Scott Frank German brewer became subtlety of smoke nuance, but I am drinking what I'm pretty sure is a pretty basic brown ale from England style. 
but there is an aspect of the malt construction that reads as smoky, not smoked, not smoke, but you know what I mean? Like the, the roast has that kind of Maillard char flavor to it in a rather kind of fun, plain, simple, little bit of malt sweetness, little bit of malt char. And the more we talk about smokiness, the more it's suggesting, you know, the smoke of roasting to me. So it's funny, but but it's great. It's a very pretty beer. I'm very happy with it. I wish you all could enjoy it so we could talk about I it, but too. I'm not going to benefit anybody by yelling about it. Can so I so I'll say, here? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what it sounds like to me that you're describing is Simpson's Black Mole. So a lot of, it's a very dark roasted, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's, you know, 700 plus on the SRM chart and <laughs> it is burnt to a crisp. And I do use this malt uh, okay. in our Schwarz beer. Schwarz, of course, means black. It's a German black lager. Uh, but if you use too much of it, it is roasted. It is literally burnt. And it, and it yep. sounds like some, especially the English, they will... Uh, they will use very small quantities of this, and it does give the impression of burnt smokiness. That's where that color comes from. And, and it, But if you balance it with sweetness, it, it can be a really cool effect. Yeah, and this is definitely a lovely hungover Sunday morning. Thieves at home, I'm sure you hear it in my voice. I've unwrapped it. I'm going to cut to the reveal because I want to move on because me talking about beer alone isn't going to benefit anybody. The problem is I can't really get anything off the can except that it's made by a company called Marlowe. Augie, you're no, drinking the wrong beer. Oh, my <laughs> God, Augie. You're totally drinking the wrong beer. <laughs> I told you three and four, not one and two. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, can Cass you tell me about too. one? Uh, well, no, I don't have this. I'm not drinking it because I wasn't supposed to drink that beer today. Oh, shit. It well, is a it's a Marlowe. It's super it's fucking Marlo good. <laughs> it's a dark mild. Because what I just uh, checked yeah, I into on Untapped is Marlo not the beer. It's just art. It doesn't say anything. Oh, gosh. I mean, uh, is he allowed to know what he was supposed to be drinking? Well, I can just open it and taste it and go back to talking, but I'll be down a beer on the next show. Uh, no, save, save, save three and four for the next shows. But I already. Oh, okay. I got no. you. Yeah. All right, so I'll stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I gotta, so I gotta go put... delete the untap now because. Wait, should I keep two out or should I go to four? Drink two, definitely drink two. Oh. Um, or sorry about that. Or, guys. No, anyway, no, hey, no, don't drink little... two. Tell me about can, this Marlowe yeah. beer. Tell me about this Marlowe beer because all it says is complains a lot or something like companions and I need my glasses. I'm such an old man. Jesus, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> I think it's just a dark mild. I'm... But I yeah. can't even read the Com name. It Companions says in woe. English Companions style dark mild, 4.2% alcohol. Uh, Marlowe is our buddy Zach Ross, who brews up in uh, well, he's 12%. Got his, well, he's got 12% and he's got his new spot, New York Craft Coalition, and the old decadent ales in Mamaronac. That's right. Yeah. Lovely Go beer. Good him. job. Good job. Moving on. Um, Like I said, we don't need me talking about beer because it's me alone anyway. And who needs that? So let's get back to, um, so in the, so we've been doing this show for eight years, Scott, and 
we started mailing the beers around because of COVID. Usually we'd all be together, but COVID created this. And the truth is it's given us a much wider breadth of people to talk to because we could talk to people in Chicago. So we've kind of stuck on this format since. But in the three and a half years we've been mailing beers around, we never got the message that our package was destroyed and disposed of in transit. And we got that message regarding your package. Did you get anything on your side to let you know you, your package had been destroyed? Or did we no. just get the, how did that go? Like, this is a weird thing to me. I'm sure traders deal with it all the time. But we've never had this issue. So I'm intrigued on how it handles on both sides. I never got word of it because it was being sent to the brewery. Now, I I could check with some of the uh, staff and see if they they got a notice. But I found out through Justin. That's and Justin, you just got like, were you doing a tracking thing and it's like, go fuck yourself? Would we have found out if we didn't do something? Uh, yeah, I was tracking it to make sure it was going to get there by Friday. And then when I checked Friday morning, it said what I sent to you guys uh, package is damaged, all uh, merchandise has been destroyed. Uh, we will notify the sender. So, <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, first time. Shipping hundreds of packages, so, you know. Yeah, but you know how we always ask for letters, Thieves? I'm sure some of you trade, and I'm sure some of you trade with people other than Brian Cass. Um, (laughs) How often does this happen? Because we've had a great string of luck, but it's still weirdly unsettling to be like, wait a second, how do we do the show if they just screwed our beer up? Write us a letter. Kennedy, Kennedy, how many Target bags were in his box? Did you try to save money on Target bags? I did not. I, I think I had like four stuff in there for two beers. So I think it was well packaged. Should have been fine. Sorry, Scott. I'm sorry you missed it. Well, to be fair, you, even if had it worked right, you still wouldn't have had the beer I just drank. So it's a total waste of time. But, but it's a lovely beer. And I wish you could drink it. And if Marlo is out by you in Chicagoland, grab it when you see it. It's kind of a very pretty artsy label with like etching, you know, like woodblock etching art on black. It's really cool. Anyway. All right. So let's get back to. We, we've been through smoke. We're kind of stuck in smoke, and I'm not sure I want to get off it, but we should talk about the fact that you're, a, you're celebrating your second anniversary at the end of October, which means as a German brewer, this is also your second Oktoberfest. Knowing the German culture of the greater Chicagoland area, I imagine you can sink your teeth into that pretty well. What do you do? What do you participate in? Do you throw something? Do you go to some something? Are you all just in Lincoln Park throwing steins at each other? How does it go? Well, we've had the, um, the uh, it's called the Donkhaus. It's the Deutsches Amerikanische National Congress is the German Cultural Center on, on the north side of Chicago. And they, they do both a Mai Fest and an Oktoberfest. So we've had, and they close down streets and there are bands and festivals and games for the kids and uh so we my family my my daughter dressed up in dirndls and i got my later hosen on and uh we've been doing that since my kids were little uh we here at double clutch had our second annual uh, oktoberfest party on the 23rd of september and a local hot polka band is called the polka holics <laughs> And we were very fortunate. Say local hot polka band again, because that cracks me up. Keep going. Yeah, hot, hot polka <laughs> band, man. They are. If there they're was a polka chart, the they'd be hitting the chart. <laughs> uh, but 
they were a lot of fun. So we, we have three bands at our personal Oktoberfest party and uh, we, we do some kid events and face painting and stuff like that. And we, yeah. we have a large 30 car parking lot. So we close that down and put a small tent out there. We already have a tent for outdoor seating, but we put a second one up and uh, we do hammer schlagen. Uh, we do a pretzel eating contest with the giant pretzels. We do uh, the beer stein hoisting competition. Gotcha. So, and we get the one liter steins. We have each year, we have a mug club here. Um, so everybody has their own unique mug, um, but that are in the club, of course. And then, but we do um, the one liter steins with a special second anniversary logo on it. And, and can I ask you, a, can I ask you a brewer question here? Like, sure. Do you, where do you get them and do you buy that 200 minimum? I, I wanted to do liters again this year. We did them a bunch of years ago, but to do anything less than like 200 was, was an absurd amount of money. Like it doesn't seem, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I just think everything costs too much these days, but it, I would have ended up having to sell these signs for like 25, 30 bucks each and not make money there. And right. I was like, that that's ridiculous. But yeah. there was no, but did you find somebody other than, you know, stadium wear or whatever it is that would give you a fair amount of proper leader signs without a huge purchase? Or did that many people come that it was worth it for you? Well, that's not my department. <laughs> Got it. Sorry. Um, no, that's fine. I know that we do a lot of work with Belter here locally. They do a lot of our glassware and grandstand. I know for some of the more simple glassware. And I think we do enough volume with them because glassware is incredibly important to me as a German brewery. So we have a specific glass for each beer. Um, we have the Willie Becker and the half liter Stein glass tankard um, that we serve a lot of beers in. Like we this year for Oktoberfest, we had both a Fest beer lager and a Märzen. And nice. uh, those are both served in the in the the stein the half liter stein um but we'll serve i do one ipa it's a hazy ipa called little juice coop uh we'll serve that <laughs> in the willie becker i'll forgive that because you're called double clutch but boy that's a that, that is a oh go on <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i didn't have that beer uh for the first three months and the the bar managers were we're really taking a lot of heat from customers about, do you have, what's your closest thing to an IPA? So anyway, that we have that one, uh, but we have, you know, obviously the, the uh, proper. Right, wait, sorry. While we're, while we're on that, cause I think we'll move on from it quickly, but we're talking about like a straightforward Conan, some wheat, some oats, a whole bunch of citra, like a hazy little juicy beer thing. Right. Exactly. So I, okay. I, I kind of have an aversion for, for bitterness. So, and, and a hazy IPA is not my go-to beer. Uh, so when I had to sit down and formulate this recipe, I went out and bought at our, our local uh, liquor store is Binnie's. They're chains of them around Chicago. Oh, we know Binnie's. Oh, good. Love Binnie's. So I went and collected everything in the category. Now, I, I, I sort of had two prerequisites when I bought the beer. I, I'm not interested in going 11%. It has to be session, not sessionable, but, but drinkable. You can watch a ball game and have a few of them. Somewhere so, around six. Exactly. Mine's 5.9. Got and, it. Um, and, I, and I didn't want bitterness. I wanted juiciness. And so um, that was sort of the, 
the requirement that I set out for, and I tasted a lot of beers and I captured some of the things that, that I liked and formulated this recipe. So it, it is juicy. It is your traditional citra mosaic, but mm. uh, I use Azaka as well. And uh, the process is all cold side hopping to eliminate any isomerization and hop bitterness. So that, there you have more about that. Nice. Than you Where, no, that's, uh, that all makes sense to me. I guess. So, you know, what's funny is I used to cling to the idea of some amount of bitterness to balance. Um, and I still, I still can't help myself. I can't not throw, you know, some measure in at 60, but right. as I go for more and more juicy, what I've learned is, and maybe it's just been drinking these kinds of beers and making these kinds of beers so long. I've learned I care a lot more about sweetness than bitterness in these beers because you need a certain amount of sweetness to be juicy. But I yes. feel like that really got away from us for a while. And some of these things are like, you know, Captain Crunch milk level of sweetness at this point. So yeah. rather than trying to compensate for that sweetness with bitterness, I personally find myself just trying to tone down final gravity to somewhere between four and seven for what for what I'm trying to do with each project. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and we we tried we tried kettle hopping and late kettle hopping. We tried whirlpool hopping. Um, we, we tried reducing the temperature of the whirlpool. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, just going straight into the fermenter during fermentation uh, gave us, frankly, the easier effect. Uh, the, the end product, when we compared them, uh, was comparable. There, there, there wasn't a significant difference. And there was a whole lot less process and time wasted on the brew day. And frankly, it was a lot easier to clean up. We didn't have <laughs> you know, trying to get the whirlpool temp down oh, yeah. uh, and, and dumping 20 pounds of hop in there really was a pain in the ass. And well, it's and, funny at the top of the show, we're talking about building a whole system designed to move temperatures up at your beck and call. And then yes. to end up three months in being like, all right, now how do we get it cool at my beck and call? Exactly wasn't in the design um i i we need to tie this up i don't mean to be a jerk but we are approaching sure. 40 minutes and we have 20 more minutes of talking to do and we're supposed to be done at 40 so i think i think the thing i'm most interested in hearing your thoughts on because i like the way you think about flavor and design um the thing you said that i'd like to kind of pick at a little is the aversion of bitterness as a guy who's on the show and cash just sent me 10 pictures from your brewery of beers he had while he was there and they all look to me like the the type of beer where that sentence doesn't make sense to me i understand and i think if we were really careful to pick exactly the right words the a perfect lager from hells down to pilsner and all the way through you know, fleshier, prettier, sweeter, rounder in hells and crispy, linear, whatever. They all rely on some exact amount of bitterness to work. So when you say you don't like bitterness, what is there a threshold you can describe? Because you can't make the beers you make and not have an affinity for some level of bitterness. Do you know what I mean? Of course. And, and the, okay. the most bitter beer that I make is the Pilsner. 
Yeah. And uh, but it comes in at 36 IBUs. Yeah, uh, that's that's gentlemanly. It is. It, it, so <laughs> there's obviously we are kettle hopping and we are interested in isomerization to balance the sweetness. But it's about a balance. It's not it. I my Hellas lager is sweet forward more than bitter forward, if 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 that makes sense. It totally does. And totally. yet there's, there is bitterness in, in that beer. It's, it's, it's 18 IBUs. Yeah. What hot, what's, uh, are you using a combo? What are your, what's your hot bill like on your hells? Because, so, you know, are you just going wicked low alpha classic olds? Cause so for mine, just to be clear, I chose Laurel because I think it does all that with some fruitiness, but I'm sorry. So yeah. I, I didn't catch that. You Laurel, L-O-R-A-L, Laurel. Yes. Uh, no, so, so. It, we, there's some availability issues. We had to sign a contract to lock in some of our German hops. And so... Really? If you ever need them, I got tons on contracts. So let me know. <laughs> Do you know really? Oh, yeah. I've got... For some reason, I had a guy working me for a while who contracted everything. And at one point when I was looking at contracts and figuring out what we were going to use during the downturn of 2021, I was like, why the fuck do we have all the sots on contract? Why do we oh, wow. like who who contracts sots? I don't even think you know Budvar contracts sots. Anyway, right. go on. I'm sorry, but I didn't mean to interrupt. But if you ever need them, give me a call. I probably have what you need. Saz, <laughs> I just I just ordered <laughs> Harris Broker and Saz. Not so. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so uh, my contract was for Parallel Middle Fruit and Hella Tower Middle Fruit and Tetlanger, and those are really my go-to hops. Uh, I had some issues with uh, Perla, so I was using uh, Tradition for a while, but uh, I bitter with Perla on, on the on the Hellas Lager. I bitter mm -hmm. with Perla. Um, I give it some flavor of, for, with the spicy Tetnanger, and then I finish with uh, some middle fruit aroma. Sounds perfect. I'm a huge fan of Tet. I just, I, I love Tet. I lean heavily into it. It's awesome. I have beers that only use Tet. Yeah, I've, I've, so I actually, do you know um, a brewery in Louisville called Against the Grain? I've heard, I'm, I, I, I am familiar with them. I don't know. They're them. good people. I like them a lot. They're super, I mean, they're, they're just fun people. But at some point, Cass, you were actually with me on that trip, but we yep. went out there to visit those guys and brew with them, and they had a one off all Tet Pilsner on. And they make all the kinds of beers I love, and that's all fun. And 72 hours in Louisville, I only drank their all Tetnanger Pilsner by the gallon. And I was like, I got to add more Tetnanger stuff to my life as a result. So I did. Anyway, that's awesome. That's, all right. So good. we, so Cass, why yes. don't you do both jobs here? Since you've just been out to Double Clutch, you can tell people what, why, and how they get there. And then you can tell them how to what, why, and give us money, unless Kennedy's <laughs> going to say, I have a letter. Well, Kennedy just dipped, and we do not have a letter. Right. So um, if you would like to write us a letter, that is stealthisbeerpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you know, write us those love letters, the, the hate mail, maybe. Uh, but most most curious, if you've ever shipped beer in a mail and had treacheries and, and did you get in trouble? That'd be fun to hear from y'all on. Uh, follow us on all the social medias. That's Steal This Beer, Twitter, Face Libro, Facebook. Uh, see what we're drinking on tapped. Oh, Instagram as well. Um, 
and yeah, double clutch. I mean, I didn't want to leave, you know, um, I spent probably more time than I should have <laughs> when we were there, and, you know, Scott, thanks for, for, uh, you know, hosting us and, and showing us around and, and talking to us, obviously, um, you know, he is a customer of mine as well. Um, of course, that, that yeah, is that's the only that, way to get on. That is besides. That's besides the fact. You know, I wanted to have. I wanted to have him on. You know, just as you know, Augie and I were car guys, and you know, yeah. I I could have stayed there probably all damn day, um, and just talked about beer and cars with Scott. But you know, if you're in the Chicagoland area and you like to stare at cars, they rotate you know, the stock as well as the season goes on. So, you know, every time you visit, you might see some cool new stuff, uh, you know, there as well. Right now there's a bunch of German, German iron in the buildings, Porsches, V-dubs. Um, but yeah, I mean, Scott, you know, tell, tell everybody where they can find you on, you know, social media. And I think you guys are open every day of the week, right? We are open every day of the week. We open at noon on weekdays and 11 on the weekends. We do a brunch on uh, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, actually our, our rotation, our cars have already rotated. They're doing oh, a Halloween come back. show. Yep, exactly. So the Halloween show is on the, the, the guy who, who buys all these cars, he, he's quirky in a sense when he buys a Ferrari, it's gotta be red on tan leather. So you'll see for our Christmas display, uh, he'll have, there'll be six red Ferraris, three on one side, three on the other. And in the middle, uh, is a dark green 356 Porsche. At least it wasn't two years ago. And last year it was a, it was a light green uh, 1970 Bronco, but it's, you know, it goes with the red and green theme. And so, yeah, we just try to have that's, fun. That's fun. So I, I, I will end on a car story. I have a buddy who's a car guy to the point where he, it doesn't sound like, he, you know, he's just a one or two car guy, but they're amazing cars. But so he's in one of those clubs where, Sure. You leave your car and somebody else takes care of it. So anytime I'm up by his house, I ask him to take me there mostly just to see everybody else's cars. But there is a guy there who has every Ferrari in the colorway you're talking about, like the Enzo, the F50, all that. And in the middle of it all is one red 1987 Mustang convertible. <laughs> Like that that whale tail five liter Mustang convertible from the eighties, yeah. and it it just imagine there's yeah somewhere near thirty Ferraris in a row of every generation, and then this Mustang. I was like, what the fuck? And John swears to me that that's the car he always wanted. That's his dream car. That's the car that starts the collection. And he, that's great. you know, he saved up to buy that car and make it perfect before he ever started the rest. And it's just, as you described that, I'm just picturing, you know, the green 19, you know, his is red, but you know, I mean, the green one in the middle of all that and be like, I think I can envision this. But yeah, yeah man, that's, that's, I mean, drinking beers and bullshit is what this, the theme of this year is, but drinking beers and bullshit about cars is definitely something everybody knows how to do. So it totally makes sense to me. When you first said, yeah, we put beer and cars together. I was like, I feel like people hate that idea. But now I get it. <laughs> yeah, we don't do them at the same time. <laughs> yeah, not not with the keys. Anyway, right, that's exactly. awesome. Man. Well, it's really nice to meet you. And I'm I'm actually loosely planning my next trip to Chicago as we speak. So hopefully I'll get by to actually shake your hand and look you at yeah. eye and drink your beers. But either way, real pleasant conversation for a Sunday morning early in the day. So thanks for making the time for us. We appreciate you being here. Yeah, it was uh, great. It was great seeing you here. And uh, I do have beer envy. I almost went off and got a beer, but I'll do that uh -huh. now. 
Do that now. Enjoy your Sunday. Watch your sports. And y'all, get at us. Cheers. Cheers.